Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? Can you believe it's the 19th of November and we're not pushing and cleaning anything that looks white? <laughs> Praise God for this weather. I'll tell you, it kind of makes me a little nervous about what's coming, but I'll enjoy what we've got now. If you're visiting with us today and I didn't have a chance to meet you in the foyer, so glad that you're here. You've come this morning when we have been going back to our roots because we are a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance in Canada. And so we've been discovering, if you look in your sermon notes, and I hope you have one, if you don't, wave your hand, and I'm sure one of our ushers will make sure you get one. In that little top left-hand corner, you'll see a little cross and a, a labor and a picture and a crown, and that's the fourfold gospel. And if you're watching online and you can't see that, just Google with your phone, fourfold gospel, the Alliance, and you will see a picture of it. I'm, I'm pretty confident you'll get it. And that will give you an idea of what we're going to be talking about today. We've been, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about Christ our Savior. Last week, we talked about Christ our Sanctifier. And today, we're going to talk about Christ our Healer. Now, as I shared with you two weeks ago, we're going deep. This isn't fluff. And if you're not a, a believer in Jesus yet, and you're just checking us out, I want you just to listen to what the benefits are for those who love Jesus. We're glad that you're here, and uh, we trust that you'll come back. So let's look into our, our passage today. So how do I know if, we can, if I can be healed? A.C. Sneed, who was for many years a foreign, the foreign secretary of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, had been a missionary in India where he developed TB on the field, and he was sent home to die. They never thought that he would even make it home. That's how sick he was. And when he arrived in New York City, the physician him, examining him said, Mr. Sneed, if you have anybody to see or any business to do, do it quickly, for your days are numbered. Good news, huh? A.C. Sneed went to God and God said to him, you just walk with me and I'll be the Lord of your body. You just trust me. And that is what he did. Instead of dying, he went on and served God for 40 more years and many years after that. In relaying this story, Dr. Bailey said this, I can remember him. He looked like a good wind would blow him over. He probably wouldn't last in Saskatchewan. And he had the squeakiest little voice. Somebody said that A.C. Sneed sounded like a constipated sparrow. Well, here's the question I have. How do you know if a sparrow's constipated? Like, does his bend, beak bend or something? Like, I don't know. But apparently his voice was hard to listen to. He was so weak and so feeble that he would come to meetings in the church and he'd live on burnt toast and scalded milk. And that's all he would eat for four, three or four days at a time. Anybody else in that position would have died but not Sneed. All Sneed had was hallelujah. He was hallelujah from the minute he got up in the morning until he laid his head at the pillow at night. And every day he got up talking about the life of Christ and lived drawing from the Lord Jesus Christ. He understood Christ our healer. 
So if you look at that little emblem on there, we talked about Christ our Savior, that was the, that's the cross. And then if you go clockwise, you'll see the labor. And that's what we talked about last week. And so now we're on the other side. We're looking at the picture. So what is a picture? Well, there's two things I want you to see here in your notes. It's a container that held anointing oil. It was one of the things that they had in the early church that just held the sacred oiling, anointing oil. The second thing is that it was a symbol of the divine life and physical healing. In our statement of faith, number eight, it says this, provision is made in the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ for the healing of the mortal body. Prayer for the sick and anointing with oil, as taught in the scriptures, are privileges for the church in this present age. Now, it's important for us that we know our Bibles, that we know the truth that's in it. And part of what we've been doing in these last three weeks, and Pastor John will share next week, Christ our coming King, we want you to understand the theological background or the biblical basis of where this comes from. Two men were walking and talking together, and the first challenged the other, if you're so religious, let's hear you quote the Lord's Prayer. I bet you 10 bucks that you can't say it. The second man responded, Now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. First man pulled out his wallet and handed him a $10 bill and said, I didn't think that you could do it. It's important that we learn and know what the Bible says about healing. So how does this affect me today? It's a great question. How can I know if I can ask for healing in my body? There are great, this is another great question. Here is what we have to think about. How is it that we've had several people in this congregation over the 90 years that have been here that have been healed? There are testimonies and stories of people who were healed physically in the ministry of this church. And yet others who were Christians and prayed in faith succumbed to death. How come it worked for some and it didn't work for others? Well, that's another great question. And I want to share with you today several simple principles from Scripture that I trust will thrust you in the arms of the Savior like A.C. Sneed had to have in terms of his relationship with Jesus, if you have a physical need. So let's go. Number one, your provision for healing is made through Jesus. What do you mean, Bob, when you say that Christ is our healer? We simply mean this, that the Lord has purchased and provided for his believing and obedient children physical strength, life, and healing as the spiritual blessing of being a believer. Simply put, we believe that when Jesus died on the cross, that he bore our sins as well as our sicknesses. The lions believe that there is healing in the atoning work of Jesus. Now, atoning and atonement is probably a different word for us this morning. But basically, it means a sacrifice to cover the sin of our world, the sin of our life. If you were to study the Old Testament, you would see 
that they would have, the Jewish people would have to have sacrifices morning and evening and on the day of atonement. It's a day of forgiveness when they would acknowledge and bring a, a goat or a lamb depending on their, their wealth. They'd bring it to the high priest and the high priest would sacrifice it and it would cover their sins. That's what atonement works for, means. So that when Jesus atoned for us, his atoning work, is that he was the lamb that was slain. That's why we talked about that at the very beginning of Christ our Savior. Notice that there are three proofs of this blessing. In your notes, the first one is the Old Testament predicted it. The Old Testament predicted it. So we look back in the Old Testament and we go, okay, where, where are the remnants here? Where, where do we see this being told or, or predicted or prophesied? In Isaiah chapter 53, in your notes, it says, for he, now it's, the writer here is thinking and believing about Jesus that's coming. He's talking about the, the Messiah. For he took our suffering on him, and he felt our pain for us. We saw his suffering and thought God was punishing him, but he was wounded for the wrong we did. Will you circle those two words, we did? He was crushed for the evil what? We did. The punishment which made us well was given to him, and we are healed because of his wounds. Circle, he took our suffering. He was wounded, which made us well. You see, we are healed because of Jesus' wounds, because of his sacrifice. Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would come and suffer, and he would suffer for us. That he would take upon himself the suffering of our sin. And we believe that it's not just our spiritual needs that he suffered for, but also our physical needs as well. You see, sin and disease came into the world as a result of the fall of Adam back in the Garden of Eden. If Jesus conquered sin and death, Then he accomplished this for us. Notice that Isaiah said, the punishment which made us well was given to him and we are healed because of his wounds. He bore our sin and in that bearing, he made healing available to us. Now some would question whether this passage actually refers to physical healing or, or primarily does it refer just to spiritual healing? Interestingly enough, the Apostle Matthew quotes this very passage from Isaiah in Matthew chapter 8. And if you can remember in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, there are no less than 10 incidences of physical healing. The plan of divine healing started with God. It was his desire. In Exodus chapter 15, we come across a fascinating passage. The Israelites have just been freed from the slavery of Egypt. They've passed through the Red Sea. They're on the other side, and they look back. And Pharaoh's army is doing the dead man's float. Some of you will get that about Tuesday. The Israelites celebrate the, what God has done for them because they were just, this, that was a great miracle. But in the midst of that celebration, God speaks to the people in verse 26 of Exodus 15, and he says these words, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, 
if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. So remember, just pause for a second. He brought a whole bunch of diseases to the Egyptians. That's how they got him out of Egypt. I brought, I brought, on, brought on to the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. In this passage, God reveals an essential aspect of his character and his desire for his covenant people. If Israel would follow him in obedience, he promised not to bring disease upon them and would heal them of their sickness and pain because it says, he is Jehovah Rapha, which means I am the Lord who heals you. We need to understand that God wants to undo the physical consequences of our sin. The clearest indication of this desire is found in the earthly ministry of Jesus. The Father's desire is to heal, is mirrored in the life of Jesus. Jesus claimed and clarified that he only did what the Father told him to do. And as you read through the Gospels, you'll find that physical healing was a significant part of Jesus' ministry. Though it's not central, not the central focus, it's not incidental to the purposes that he has. So when we look at the stories like Jesus healing the leper in Mark chapter 1, he cared very deeply for those with physical needs. In this passage, it says that Jesus was filled with compassion for the man with leprosy, and he reached out his hand and touched him and said, I'm willing to heal you, be clean. And the leprosy left him, and he was cured. Keith Bailey, a well-known Alliance pastor and president over the years, an author wrote of Jesus' healing as an index to the heart of God. A.B. Simpson, the founder of our denomination, believed that when Jesus heals, he does it not through a logical necessity that he should keep his promise, but he does it with his whole heart and soul. He is so sorry for your pain, and he is so glad to help you. You see, God the Father does indeed desire our to heal our physical ailments. But it's, but it's also part of his larger, more encompassing purpose for mankind, which is to establish a relationship with us and to transform us into the image of Jesus, ultimately giving glory to him. So in healing us, God's ultimate intent was to bring glory to himself. And we need to understand that this is Understand this, pardon me, when we bring our physical needs before God. You see, our request for healing, you might want to write this down in your notes, our request for healing must be completely selfless. Desiring God's glory and nothing else. A.B. Simpson wrote this as well, and I quote, So as long as we want blessings for ourselves, they are selfish blessings. We must relinquish our right and claims and take everything only for Christ then we can claim God's promises because it's for God we are claiming them and it's in God's interest more than our desires to bless us. You see, the plan of divine healing begins with the Father and is predicted in the Old Testament to undo the physical consequences of sin in our lives, which is a part of the greater purpose to bring people into relationship with him for his glory. But not only does the Old Testament talk about it, fill in your notes, the New Testament fulfilled it. In Matthew chapter 8, that passage I referred to before, it said in verses 16 and 17, that evening the demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus, and when he spoke a single word, all the demons fled and all the sick were healed. And this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. He took our sicknesses and bore 
our diseases. What Isaiah said in the Old Testament was going to be predicted in the New Testament, Matthew said Jesus fulfilled it. Matthew makes it very clear that Isaiah's prophecy concerning Christ was referring to a physical healing ministry of Jesus and that Jesus, his healing is made available to us through the atoning work on the cross. Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, conquered sin, which as we've seen, which brought about pain and sickness in the very first place, it's the root cause. And in taking care of sin, Christ allowed the world to have the effects of sin canceled in our lives, not just the spiritual effects. That separation from God, as we discussed earlier, but also the physical effects like suffering and disease. So to answer the question, how is divine healing made possible? It's made possible through the Son's atonement. He shed his blood for us. If, this, if sin is the ultimate cause of pain and sickness, then in dealing with sin, Christ also dealt with pain and sickness. Divine healing has been provided through the atonement. And I also want to underscore that the agent by which God works is through the Holy Spirit. In, Christ, in the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he, he is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. We sang about that this morning in our worship session. This verse shows us that the Holy Spirit sustains us and carries us and carries out the divine work of healing in our bodies. So let's go back to the beginning for a little bit of summary. While God the Father desires healing for all mankind and sanctions the work, and God the Spirit made healing possible through his atoning death and resurrection. It is God the Holy Spirit who actually performs the divine healing in the life of a believer. Isn't it incredible to see how the, how the triune God works together for that? Amen? You still with me or are you sleeping? I know we're deep here today, but I want, I'd have to lay the theological foundation for us to see what we're understanding here. Keith Bailey says, the Holy Spirit is always the immediate agent of the blessing of the redemption through Jesus. As 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 11 explains, to one was given through the Spirit the gift of healing, and there are others that do, pardon me, and these are the work of one and the same Spirit who gives them to each other just as he determines. It's the Holy Spirit who will use a believer as a channel of blessing in the area of healing. But as this passage makes clear, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, not to whom the gift has been given. So the Old Testament predicted it. The New Testament fulfilled it. And the resurrection assured it. Let me just quickly look at that for us, and then we'll get into the book of James. But Christ has rescued us from the cross pronounced by the law. When, we, when he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. So it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. You see in this passage that when sin entered the world, God placed a curse on us with giving the law of the Old Testament. And as the law does, folks, it points out our shortcomings, but it has no, no power to pronounce us guilty of sin. It's like when you go down the road and the speed limit says 90 on circle drive. If you go over 90, it already pronounces you guilty. 
but it, it won't unearth itself and come after you and get you. That's what the law does. The law points out your sin. It does anything for you. It doesn't do anything for you. So when Jesus came to rescue us from the curse, he took the curse. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he bore our guilt and he declared us not guilty. Why? Because he was victorious over sin and death. The resurrection assures it. So in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we not believe that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he also died on the cross for our sicknesses? Sickness is a result of sin. And the moment Adam sinned, the whole human race experienced sickness. Physical healing is related to the vicarious atonement because sickness in a man or woman is the direct result of the fallen state. And Christ dealt with sickness by dealing with sin. So then logically speaking, if Christ conquered sin through death and his resurrection, he also conquered sickness. But then you might have a question. Bob, why are believers not perfect in their health? I mean, if what you're saying is there. Well, let me explain it to you this way. The benefits of healing and the atonement does not demand that all who exercise faith must have perfect health. Any more than the benefit of salvation and the atonement doesn't require that all who believe in Jesus don't sin. As long as we are in this world, we are tainted with the residue of sin and the effects of sin. And at the end of the outline, and I don't have time to look at this, if you flip it over at the back at the bottom, you'll see a number of reasons why people are not healed. And I'm not going to talk about them. We don't have time. Take it home and read the passages and the listed there to clarify why some people are not healed. Ultimately, we're all going to die, friends. It's a one and one probability. But there's other reasons. So I want to get to our main passage today. So your provision for healing was made through Jesus. The Old Testament predicted. The New Testament fulfilled it. The resurrection assured it. So then what do we do with it? Well, God in his wisdom didn't leave us on our own. The second thing I want you to see today is that your prayer and anointing for healing are commanded. In James chapter 5, one of the privileges of the roles of pastor and elders is to have opportunities to come alongside people in the hospital, whether either before or after they have surgery or, or when they're sick. And sometimes, Fred, you don't know what you're getting into, and sometimes you do know what you're getting into. So let me tell you one story. One time while I was in Mississauga, we had a family that moved from Calgary out to Toronto in the downturn in the 1990s. He was a construction foreman of this great big, huge company. And he was attending our church, and so on the Sunday he said to me, he said, I'm going in for surgery. And I said, okay. I said, do you want me to come and pray with you? And he said, that would be wonderful, Pastor. That would be great. So he told me the time and the place, and so I showed up and we chatted about a few things, and Chatted about what it was like in Calgary, because at that time I had no clue what Calgary was like. And I, I, I talked about the construction that he was working on. And 
And you know, it got pretty quiet and it got rather awkward. So I decided this was the time I needed to pray for him. And so I came up beside his bed. And finally he said, Pastor, do you know what kind of surgery I'm having today? And it wasn't usually something that I would dig for because I could tell you other stories that just, I, I still can't get those out of my mind, okay? I said, no, what are you in for? <laughs> he said, I'm having hemorrhoid surgery. <laughs> Remember when I said to you before that when fear rushes in, logic runs out? So <laughs> I said, if it's okay with you, can I just put my hand on your shoulder? We laughed. Oh, we laughed. Because he, re he realized and, and, and God miraculously healed him. Regardless of your physical need, Jesus instruct, or James instructs us how to proceed. You see, God has made a way for his children to handle the vast experiences of the life in Jesus. And if you want to read more about this, I would encourage you to get a book by um, Nathan Bailey. It's called Divine Healing the Children's Bread. And some of the quotes that I have are from that book. Okay? When it comes to the practice of divine healing within church, this is the significant passage in James chapter 5. Bailey says, The effectiveness of the church's healing ministry depends on how seriously this passage is taken by everyone. If this full spectrum of prayer for healing were carried out, a number of incidents of divine healing would be greatly increased. Much failure in the use of anointing comes from a hurried, partial, carried out understanding of this practice. So what do we need to do to be prayed for and anointed with oil? Very quickly, I'm going to go through, I think, seven steps or six steps. First one is this. The initiative is to rest with the person who is sick. It says, are any among you sick? So that's the first step. If you're sick, don't wait for the elders of the pastors to read your mind and come calling to your bedside. You have to take the initiative. It all starts with you. When you humble yourself before God and you ask him if you need to take this further than your prayer closet, then you just need to ask a question. If you have a hangnail, do you call the elders? No. Nope. Do you call the elders if you have a common cold? No. Nope. Call the doctor. But let me also say that there's no small need for you to take to your heavenly father in prayer. But you don't have to always call the elders. Embrace his love for you. Humble yourself before God. But James is saying that we must also humble ourselves before the church's leadership. You called the elders. You step out of your comfort zone to seek divine help. It's almost like, and I would, I would venture to say that this is your step of faith. Number two, instruction to the sick is to call the elders. Now underline, I think I've got it for you in your notes, but they should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. It's important to notice that we are to call, would you circle this? Elders, plural. Not just one elder. And I think the reason for this is that, that no one person gets the glory for healing or a reputation as being the elder that is a healer. 
You see, God alone receives the glory because he's the one who does the healing. And so when you go in two, you don't know which one it was that prayed the prayer of faith. And God gets protected. His glory gets lifted. The third thing is the inventory must be taken of the life of the sick. This is one of the most neglected steps that we take in preparing ourselves to, to ask the elders to come and pray for us. What is an inv- why is the inventory necessary? Well, it's simple. There may be a lifestyle issue that's causing you to be sick. There may be habits that you're involved with that are bringing you these inf- 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 infections. And maybe you need to ask God to forgive you for the gross misuse of your body and clean them out of your life before you ever call the elders. That's why last week I provided a handout that you could keep in your Bible to assist you in making those necessary preparations because you walk through a number of questions and you prayerfully consider whether or not at the end of it, that's what God wants you to do is to call the elders. The next one is intercession must be offered in faith. And the prayer and their prayer in faith, offered in faith, will heal the sick and the Lord will make them well. So what is it the elders are called to do? It says they're to pray over them. Keith Bailey says the right kind of praying is the essential climate for the church's healing ministry. So what kind of right faith are we praying about? The passage says it's the prayer offered in faith. So we must understand what faith is all about. Faith is not about twisting God's arm to give us what we want, but bending our will to get what God wants. True faith requires total reliance upon God and total commitment to his will. The prayer offered in faith needs to be motivated and energized by the Holy Spirit. Those praying need to be earnestly seeking God's will and have a clear sense that this is God's desire for the sick person. Our prayer needs to be inspired by God himself. It needs to flow directly from the heart of God or it's not going to be effective. We can pray all day long, but nothing will happen if it's not motivated by God's desire. And one of the things that we don't do enough enough of is waiting on God and getting a clear sense from him about his will. That's why that inventory process is so important, because you work through and you listen to God. Now, faith is a critical part of healing. The only hindrance to Christ's ministry recorded in Scripture was a lack of faith. Faith has to be rested on the word of God, and too many people's faith rests on the experiences of other people. What kind of faith can lead to a fantasy rather than reality? The prayer offered in faith. But it shouldn't be seen as some kind of formula where a person thinks that if they only have enough faith, God will heal them. That places the stress on us and our efforts. Christ is the effective cause of healing. Faith is only the instrumental cause. Let's talk about being anointed with oil. James tells us to anoint the sick person with oil in the name of the Lord. Why is this so important? Anointing with oil has no medicinal benefit, as some might have assumed, and neither is it magical in any way. Instead, it is a symbolic of the presence of the Holy Spirit, who, as we have said, carries out the work of healing. A.B. Simpson taught that oil is a beautiful symbol of the divine spirit of life 
taking possession of the human body and breathing into it God's vital energy. Although it's not clearly stated in this passage, it's also appropriate for us to lay hands on the sick person as Jesus and the apostles often did. In the laying on of a hand on the person, we identify them with them and their need. But notice it's the Lord who raises them up. It's to be in Jesus' name. And please be clear this morning that the healing we're talking about this morning is divine healing. It's not faith healing. Divine healing comes from God alone. The text states that it's the Lord who raises them up. It's not the pastor, but the Lord. It's not the elders, but the Lord. For the Lord is our healer. And we must look to him alone. Number five, the inspiration that comes to the sick if they're not healed. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. At this point, I also want to mention that some here probably have lost faith in the healing power of God. Maybe you've come forward for healing before and nothing has happened, but I want to encourage you to read the parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. For Luke had told the disciples this parable to show them that they should pray and that they shouldn't give up. Let me say that it's our privilege to come alongside you and pray for you and your needs. We desire to be a blessing, the leadership of our church, and we want to be an encouragement to you, whatever your need is. Number six, instigate confession to others for healing. Confess your sins one to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous man or righteous person has a great power and wonderful results. Jesus also points out the connection between healing and forgiveness of sins. You can see that the person seeking God's healing needs to take the time to search his or her heart, and there needs to be an encouragement to embrace the reality of the need to confess sin, because sin is the ultimate cause of sickness, and it makes sense that unconfessed sin would block the healing touch of God from coming to me. There's a close relationship in Scripture between sin, the forgiveness of sin, pardon me, and healing. And that can be seen in the account where Jesus heals the paralytic. And when the paralytic is brought to him, instead of referring to his physical needs as we would expect, Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. There's an authentic relationship between the confession of sin and healing because when sin is taken care of, it no longer blocks the channel of blessing from God to the believer. And the person seeking healing from God needs to have the attitude of David in Psalm 139 when he prayed, Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Number three, you are privileged to experience that even today. As long as you were a believer, and you've crossed the line from being a seeker to a follower of Jesus, this is available to you. The provision for healing has been made through the finished work of Jesus. We've already talked about that. Your procedure for prayer and anointing is clearly later in God's word in James, and the leadership of any Alliance church is prepared to walk alongside you as you seek to know God's will for your life. Now, having heard all these principles, A.B. Simpson was so sick, before he experienced Christ, our healer, 
He heard a conference speaker talk about these very principles that we've talked about this morning. And A.B. Simpson, after this service, ran into the woods at Orchard Park, New York, and with only his Bible, he sought the Lord, and A.W. Tozer in the book Wingspread says that he, fall, he found a fallen tree that became his altar, and on that fallen tree, he put his Bible, and he searched the scriptures, and he said, God, if this is for me, if this is what it really means, I want to experience you as Christ, our healer. And it would be best if we did the same. So this morning, you'll be given an opportunity to come forward and have the elders pray for you. Last week, we provided that prayer inventory for those who had a physical or spiritual or emotional need to work through before they came, before you came to the service today to prayerfully think it through. Some of you have done that, and some of you are ready to come forward. But I want to challenge you. If you have a physical need today, and you've sensed that God wants you to take that step, and come and ask the elders to pray for you, that you come, that you come. I'm going to ask the elders and their spouses to join me up here at the front of the auditorium. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me here. Yesterday, as we, as elders got together for our retreat, we indica- they indicated to me they wanted the privilege of being able to pray for you. So here, here are what the instructions are going to be. I just want you to see how we're going to do this. All right? I'm going to come down here, and I'm going to stand at the front of this aisle, right here in the center. And while we're singing, if you have sensed that you want to call upon God and be anointed with oil and have the elders pray for you, then I encourage you just to put a line, create a line together in front of me and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you what it is that you're going to ask God for. And I'm going to anoint you with oil. And then I'm going to escort you to one of our prayer groups here. And if our prayer groups are filled, then I'm just going to pray for you right there. And here's what I want to ask you to do, folks. If you're not coming forward this morning for prayer, this is sacred space this morning. I'd invite you to pray for those that are coming forward. You may know them, you may not know them, and just ask God to minister and meet with them this morning. Can I ask you just to quietly just remain here? If you have to go, you have to go. I get that. Could you go quietly? We don't want to just break the sense of the Spirit working in us this morning. Amen? Did you get it? Good. Let's stand together and sing. I'm going to come down to the front, and while we're singing, I encourage you to come.